Welcome to the Calvary Young Adults Podcast. We exist to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. Here's today's sermon. It is so good to be with everybody here tonight. My name is Michael, and this is like my first real week as the YA pastor. So um, it's so good to be together. Uh, Brian Williams is going to be with us for a couple more weeks. So you, y'all have to show him like the most amount of love over the next three weeks and give him a lot of hugs. And write in that book, is that book out for him? I think we got a book out for him, for him here where you can write your affirmations and your thanks to him. I uh, just want to honor him and uh, yeah, love on that guy on the way out. Um, I'll never forget, I was a sophomore in college and I was sitting like right around here in a chapel, not in this room. I was at APU, but I was on the left-hand side. And our speakers that would get up would usually be in their like 20s, 30s, 40s, maybe 50s. But this 70-something-year-old man walked onto the platform with big bushy hair and big bushy white eyebrows with these huge jeans on that y'all are wearing these days. But he was doing it like back in the day. He was rare, rare cat. And he had p- patches all over his jeans. And he got up and the first thing he said was, Jesus Christ loves you exactly as you are and not as you should be. Because there's not one person in here that is as they should be. And I was like trying to wrap my mind around that. And then he came even harder and he said the same exact thing. He said, Jesus Christ loves you exactly as you are and not as you should be. Because there's not one person in here that is as they should be. I want to echo that to you tonight. And say, there's not one person that is in here as as they should be, but Jesus loves you exactly as you are. It's his love that transforms us. It's his grace that transforms us. It's not us performing better. It's not us putting on a good face. It's not coming into church and acting right. It's the grace of Jesus Christ that saves us and changes us and transforms us. And so I want you to know that this will be a space where you can bring your messy self in and bring your messy friends in here. And it's going to be safe enough for all of us to come in a mess and meet the grace of God and be transformed by it. Safe enough to come in a mess and dangerous enough that this grace and love of God just might change our lives. And that's what this space is going to be. And tonight, we're going to start with a Christmas sermon. Y'all good with Christmas? We got trees up here. We might as well talk about Christmas, right? So we're going to talk about a Christmas sermon. The title of this sermon is The Anxiousness of Waiting. And I want to start with this idea of waiting, this reality that when we're waiting for something, anxiety is a natural companion to waiting. Let me give you an example. It's like when you text your crush and you see the bubble come back and they're texting back and the anxiety that comes back and that bubble goes away and they don't write you right? There's anxiety that comes with that, that you're waiting for this person that you hit up to get back to you. Or it might be that anxiety of that prayer that you prayed and you're waiting on and you, you were hoping for an answer yesterday, but it's today and it still hasn't been answered. Or maybe it's the initial tests that have come back from the doctor and they don't look good and you're waiting on a full diagnosis. It's the anxiety of waiting, And tonight, we're going to talk about how we navigate waiting. We're going to talk about three things as we navigate waiting. The first one's anxiety. Somebody say anxiety. The second thing's doubt. Somebody say doubt. And the last one's faith. Somebody say faith. Let's start with anxiety. Our culture has become very anxious, wouldn't you say? The analysis of the Census Bureau's Household Pulse Survey, that's a mouthful, finds that half of adults ages 18 to 24 reported anxiety and depression symptoms in 2023. 
Another study finds that young adults 18 to 25 in the U.S. have the highest rate of experiencing mental health conditions. So if we're in this room, that's aimed at us. If those stats are true, half of us are dealing with that. And the caveat here that I want to say is we talk about anxiety specifically in mental health. God gave all of us minds and gave people in this world minds with brilliant uh, medical minds that have figured out how to create some medicines that have helped some people in this room. And I just want to acknowledge that and say that we're at different places on this mental health journey. And I'm not here. If you're on your mental health journey and you're a very real place where you have help medically, I just want to affirm that uh, and also invite you into what God has to say to you tonight. Do you wonder why there's so much anxiety in the world? Maybe it's because as human beings in 2023, you can be aware of every problem that's happening in the world and not do really anything to fix it. That might make us anxious. Uh, maybe it's because of the first time in 100 years we lived through a global pandemic. First time since the Spanish flu, and you had things taken from you, entire years of college, jobs, graduations, relationships, power and control over your daily life. You don't think that might make you a little bit anxious? Or maybe it's, this one's crazy, maybe it's the opportunities that are endless in a social media-driven society. Think about this. You can date anybody. You can travel anywhere. You can make anything out of your life that you want to make it. There are no restrictions, no boundaries. Your options are supposedly unlimited, and on the surface, that sounds great. But under the surface, there is a comparison anxiety that comes with it. What if I'm settling in this job? What if I'm settling for this guy? What if I married the wrong person? Am I as beautiful as she is? Am I as successful as he is? Didn't she, did she like my post? I thought she was going to like my post. Is he mad at me? If these statistics are correct, we are people who deal with anxiety more than we'd like to admit in this room. But I love the season of Advent because Advent in Latin means Adventus and Adventus means coming. So in this season, as we lead up to Christmas, we are anticipating the coming of Jesus. And I love this because if we're dealing with anxiety in the room tonight, we are not pioneers on the road of anxiety. We have greats of the faith who have walked down the road of anxiety before us as they waited for God to show up in their lives. So we're going to get to Luke 1 here, Luke 1, 5. We're going to read this in chunks. So we'll go Luke 5, sorry, Luke 1, 5 uh, through 17 to start. It says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. He belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, his wife Elizabeth, who was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning incense came, all the assembly worshipers were praying outside. This is crazy what happens right here. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. 
so lucky. Um, He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord. I love this. In the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I wanna pray for you really quick before we get into these three points. Is Is that okay? God, I just pray for each person in this room. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that you're here. God, we acknowledge um, that you were real and that you were not fake. So right now, God, I pray that you would wake up things that are sleeping in our lives. I pray that you would heal things that are broken. And God, would you resurrect and bring back to life things that are dead and dying? Would you do what only you can do through the power of your word and your spirit? And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Like I said tonight, we're talking about waiting and the coming of the Lord, and we're talking about anxiety, doubt, and faith. So let's, let's keep on going with anxiety. The first point is that there is anxiety in our waiting. And I want to unpack this story. Zachariah was a priest, right? And he works in the sanctuary, and he had a really important job. And so he goes in to burn incense before the Lord, and he goes in to do his job, and, and the, this angel of the Lord appears to him. And it's not just any angel, it's Gabriel. It's like a big wig angel. Like we know the dude's name. He's, he's like with God all the time. And he tells Zachariah that he and his wife are going to have a baby. They're to name him John, that he's going to be this prophet in the spirit of Elijah that will pre- prepare him for the way of the Lord. And I want to focus on something specific that Gabriel says here. He says, do not be afraid. Your prayers have been heard. Do not be afraid. Your prayers have been heard. Somebody needs to hear that in here tonight. Do not be afraid. Your prayers have been heard. What prayers for Zechariah and Elizabeth? It says that they were old in age and they didn't have a kid. And this, and this angel tells them they're about to have a kid. So they obviously been praying for a kid for a very long time, for decades. Can you imagine? Zechariah is a priest. He's like a pastor. He's a holy man. And his wife is a holy woman. And they've been traveling with God, journeying with God, praying for decades for something that they long for in their hearts and silence, nothing back from God for decades. Can you imagine the source of pain and weariness that this was for them? Can you imagine how many times they wondered why wasn't God doing what we so deeply desire him to do because we're obedient and this is the desire of our heart. God, where are you? In this season of Advent, in this season of waiting, I have to imagine there's somebody in this room who feels like that tonight. God, where are you? And if that's you tonight, I need you to hear these three truths that we have a hard time holding in tension together. And the first one is God cares about the desires of your heart. He does. He sees you. He loves you. He cares about the desires of your heart. The second thing is God loves to give good gifts to his children. You see it all throughout scripture. He loves to give good gifts to his children. And this is the third one that we have a problem with. God doesn't operate according to our timeline. So those first two, we're like all about. And then that last one, we're like, no. Like, just do it when I want it, God. And you see, this is where anxiety shows up. And I need you to stay with me and hear this. This is where anxiety shows up. When God doesn't operate according to our timeline, anxiety shows up and says, if God cared, he would have answered by now. If God was good, he wouldn't have let that happen. If God was faithful, this wouldn't be happening to me. And I know, I know if we were going to ask and pass a mic around and we said our good Sunday school answers, we would say God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. But when you're smack dab in the middle of an unanswered prayer, don't tell me you don't wonder where God is and why he hasn't shown up yet. 
This is where Zachariah and Elizabeth had been for years with this desire of their heart and a God that hasn't showed up. The thing about anxiety, I need you to hear this. Anxiety takes your current situation and projects it into the future. Anxiety doesn't have any vision. It's not original. All anxiety is capable of is copying your current situation, your current difficulties, and rearranging and pasting it onto this awful future that you don't want any part of. Anxiety says this, I need you to hear this. My life will always be some version of this feeling that I have right now. And somebody needs to hear this tonight in the midst of their anxiety, in the midst of the waiting on your God, in the midst of your sorrow and your unanswered prayers. Do not worry, my child. Your prayers have been heard. You have a God who sees you and you have a God who hears you. And then we hear the truth from the text tonight. This this truth from the text for Zechariah and Elizabeth, after praying for all these years, God's silence didn't mean he was indifferent. After praying for all these years, God's silence didn't mean that he wasn't good or that he wasn't faithful. It's that God had bigger plans in mind. Can you hear that? I wanted to name this first point, God had bigger plans in mind, so put that in your head. It's not that he's indifferent. It's not that he's not faithful. It's not that he doesn't care. It's that he had bigger plans in mind. Could it be that his plans were bigger than theirs? Could it be that he wanted something greater than Zachariah and Elizabeth could have ever imagined? Could it be that he was writing the lineage of their son into the coming of the Messiah? They had been asking for a son, and God said, I have something so much more for you. Your son will come and prepare the way for the Lord. Somebody needs to hear tonight in the midst of your unanswered prayers, in the midst of your waiting. You've been so, you've been so close to your situation, so close to your heartache and so close to your pain, and you need to hear that God has a bigger plan. But here's the key to that truth. That, that sounds comforting, right? That sounds comforting. Like if you're in the middle of something right now, God has a bigger plan that you find comfort in that. Here's the hard part to this truth that I need you to hear, but that is so beautiful. God's bigger story isn't defined by you getting more. God's bigger story isn't you just getting more of everything that you thought that you wanted that you could possibly imagine. Um, God's bigger plan for your life is him getting more glory out of your life, not you getting more of what you want. That's the bigger thing. They get to have this son, John the Baptist, who goes on to prepare the way for the Lord. Newsflash, their son gets beheaded at the end of this thing. But God gets more glory out of it. So if you have this unanswered prayer and you're wondering where God is, I guarantee you that there's something bigger that he has for you, but the bigger is him getting more glory and him getting more magnified. And that's what he's trying to get about and get at in our lives. Uh, my wife, Faith, is here. And um, yeah, she's, she's better than me. So I'll just say that. She's amazing. Um, her mom uh, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's about 10 years ago. Her mom's name is Patty. If you don't know anything about Alzheimer's, it's kind of a death before a physical death because your mind's deteriorating and the person that you knew starts, starts to fade away. And so she's at a point where it's hard for her to recognize even family and, and have conversations. And uh, we pray for Patty all the time. That's my mother-in-law's name. We pray for Patty all the time. God, heal her mind. God, bring about healing in her mind. God, bring back the Patty that we used to know And I'm starting to, I think we're starting to realize that God's had a bigger plan in mind than when we were praying for healing for Patty. Because what's happened is we prayed for healing for Patty and God's brought healing to everybody around Patty. So she has friends who come and stay with her on a daily basis. 
to help her out because her husband faced dad's a pastor. And so he goes to work and all these women from the church come and they take care of Patty and they spend time with Patty. And testimony after testimony after testimony of these women is that I was depressed, I had anxiety, I had no purpose in life, I didn't know why I was living. And now every single week, I know that I get to go take care of Patty and my depression is gone. The Lord has taken away my anxiety. The Lord has given me purpose. So we were praying for this thing over here, this healing this whole time. And God was like, I actually have something bigger in mind right now. I want to heal all the people in this community as Patty goes through what Patty's going through. What do you find yourself waiting for in this season? Where do you feel like God is silent and you're pleading for him to answer this prayer? What would it look like for you to trust him and look for the bigger thing that he might want to do in your life? Maybe he hasn't answered yet because he has something bigger. And when he has something bigger, it might be that he just wants to get some more glory out of your life and it might look different than you thought. Does that make sense? So that's the first one. Anxiety shows up in our waiting. And then God shows us that he has something bigger in mind to our unanswered prayers. The second thing I need you to know when it comes to waiting on God is doubt comes in the waiting. Let's go on in this passage. Doubt comes in the waiting. This is Zechariah. This is his response to the angel. An angel showed up and told him what was gonna happen. Anybody else want that in their life? An angel's like, hey, this is who you're gonna marry. Like an angel shows up like, hey, this is your career. This is your, like an angel showed up and answered the deepest prayer they've had for decades. And this is Zechariah's response. He says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Just big flex, right? I'm I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And it's like the discipline comes in. He's like, and now you will be silent and not not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them because his voice was taken. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. It's like the Bible's not shying away from it. It's like dude's voice got taken (laughs) because he doubted. Um, So doubt comes in the waiting. Isn't that crazy? Don't you think if an angel showed up and told you, hey, the deepest longing of your heart right now, this is it prayers answered and in detail, this is what it's going to look like. Don't you think you would be like, yes, thank you. Praise God. Like, so, like running out and telling everybody, Zachariah's first response was like, can I be sure of this? And then he goes on to tell the angel why this plan wasn't going to work. I'm old and my wife's old. He did a good job. He said, she's also well along in her years. He didn't say old, right? He's a smart man. Um, but he said, so he said that, so his, his reaction isn't joy. It's not awe. It's not wonder. It's not excitement. Nope, it is doubt. Can we, can we just ask the question, why is he doubting? An angel just told him what was gonna happen. And, and I think the first thing I wanna say is doubt is a natural fruit of waiting. I want you to hear that. Doubt is a natural fruit of waiting. Think about it. When you text somebody, when you you make plans with somebody, you text them, they say they're coming over at seven and then uh, it's 7.30 and you text them, they don't text back and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. Isn't there like a doubt that comes up of like, is this actually gonna happen? Or maybe like, maybe a little more personal, a little more deep example is like maybe you're longing for a spouse, a husband or a wife. 
and you thought this was going to happen at 21, and now you're sitting here at 25, 26, 27, the dating apps have been awful, and you've been on a couple first dates, nothing's panned out. Doubt creeps in. Am I ever going to find my person? Can I get a witness in here? Anybody? Okay, okay. Got some honest people in here. Um, Zachariah and Elizabeth had been praying for a baby for a long time and God hadn't answered their prayer. And so doubt crept in. So we have that. Doubt is a natural fruit of waiting, but let's dig a little bit deeper. What is underneath Zachariah's doubt? And I have two things that I think is underneath Zachariah's doubt. And I need you to hear this. The first thing, he's more overwhelmed by the facts of his life than he trusts the word of his God. It was kind of a weird sentence structure grammatically if there's any English teachers in here, so I'm gonna say it again. He's more overwhelmed by the facts of his life than he trusts the word of his God. He's overwhelmed by the facts of his situation. I'm old, my wife's old, that can't be true. The fact that his age held more weight in this equation than the truth of God's word is where we find Zechariah. He looks at the facts of his life on one hand and he looks at the word of God on the other hand and he trusted the facts of his life more than he trusted the truth of his God. I have no clue what that feels like, you? No clue at all. Said me never. I know exactly what that feels like. Am I the only person in this room that gets overwhelmed by the circumstances in my life? and puts more weight in the facts around me than the truth that God has spoken over me. That's why we need to be reminded of the difference between facts and truth. Somebody say facts, Facts. and then somebody say truth. truth. The facts are the circumstances of your life. It's the challenges you're facing, the unanswered prayer requests, the diagnosis, your singleness, your unemployment, your anxiety, your depression. It's not that they're fake. Those are true. Those are real and they are currently happening in your life. But then you have the truth about what God has said about you. You have the truth of God's character. You have the truth of his faithfulness. You have the truth of God's grace and his love for you. And sometimes when the facts of your life become overwhelming, you need to be reminded of the truth of God. In in the way that we're reminded best of the truth of God in our lives when we're overwhelmed by the facts of our lives is by the people in our lives. You need friends to remind you of the truth of God when the facts of your life are overwhelming. You need people like I have. You need people like my brother who's sitting right over there. Thanks for coming, Brian. Who I've talked to on a daily basis, probably for the last four years. Um, And now we live in the same city. Um, But he reminds me of who I am and what God has called me to when I find myself in a place that's overwhelmed and I feel anxiety or depression coming up, he reminds me of who I am and that things are gonna be okay. You need people like Loida who showed up here tonight, who speak the truth of God's call over my life and remind me that I'm a pastor. You need people like Billy who showed up tonight, who reminds me of the grace of God in my life when I feel far away from God. And you need people like my wife, Faith, who reminds me of the standard God has called me to and reminds me of what it looks like to follow Jesus more closely when I'm weary. You need to be reminded of the truth of God's words when the facts of your life have you in a place of doubt and anxiety. And my question is, do you have those friends? Do you have friends that will 
take the facts and agree and say, yeah, those are real and those are there, and then put them over here and invite you and remind you into the truth of what God has spoken over your life and his promises over your life and his character and his faithfulness over and over and over again. So the first reason Zechariah doubted, the facts weighed more than the truth. The second reason he doubted, and this is just so simple, and some of you really need to hear this tonight, we don't like being out of control. Anybody want to raise their hand? They don't like being out of control. Thank you for my honest, yeah, honesty all over the room. What, what doubt actually comes down to is us wanting to be in control more than we want God to be in control. That's the thing. This, this promise from God had nothing to do with Zachariah's performance. He'd been praying this prayer for years. God didn't answer. And then all of a sudden, God's like, here you go. And he's like, that can't be because... You haven't answered in all this time and I didn't really do anything to earn this and it just happened. God decided for it to happen. We like to be in control and when we realize we're not, we don't like it. Does anybody hate driving in the passenger seat of a car with somebody else and they just wanna be the driver? Thank you, again, some of my honest people. So me and Faith, my wife, we like hate the way the other person drives, okay? Like we don't appreciate our driving styles. Like, so when I'm in the passenger seat and she's driving and she's merging onto the freeway at like 45 miles an hour and we're getting honked at from behind, you know? And she's like, why are they honking at me? I'm like, because you're going 45 and a 70, you know? Like that, I hate being in the passenger seat when she does that, right? Um, or, or when I'm like driving too fast or I get a little bit angry in the car at somebody, she's like urging me to slow down and she doesn't like that. We like to be in control when we realize we're not, we don't like it. Or maybe let's get it a little bit closer to home, some examples for you. Maybe you're trying to control how the people around you feel about you. You long for people to love you and you think you need to act a certain way for them to love you and it's exhausting and you're exhausted. That's called people-pleasing, by the way. You think, you think if you just get better grades or perform better at work that your parents might love you or approve of you more? You think that if you were just more talented, you would have gotten that job or gotten that, rage, that, that raise? Or if you were just prettier or funnier or stronger or had better style or better game, that guy or girl would have swiped right on you and asked you out on a date? Or you think if you just do what he wants you to do physically, he'll love you, which couldn't be further from the truth? And if that's a prerequisite for love in your relationship, it should be over because that's not love. We don't like to be out of control, but here's the beautiful thing with Jesus. When you follow Jesus, that's exactly what you're committing to, being out of control. We're passengers and he's the driver and we commit to a life that is not in our control, but his. And here's the beautiful thing about that as it pertains to anxiety so much of our anxiety comes from this lie that we believe that we can actually control the outcomes of people and events in our lives. And when things don't go according to our plan, anxiety creeps in. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is he invites us into this truth that we actually don't have control over the people or the events in our lives, but he does. And so we get to be out of control in the best way possible. The, I wanna just bonus doubt, just a bonus point about doubt. Are you ready for my bonus point about doubt? That doesn't have anything to do with this passage, so I don't want to pretend it does. Um, my bonus thing about doubt that I want to share, and this will be quick, but just the doubt of deconstruction that I know a lot of people are going through. 
And maybe not anybody in this room. You might have some friends who are going through it. You might be going through it. But it's this idea of deconstruction. And just a quick just snapshot of it is, I grew up in the church. I grew up with this faith. Now I'm questioning the church. Now I'm questioning my faith. And I'm tearing this thing down to the studs and seeing what the foundation looks like and seeing if I actually want to build this thing back up or not. Um, so the thing I love about Jesus is Jesus had somebody who followed him for three years named Thomas, who a resurrected Jesus showed up to his disciples and Thomas raised his hand and said, I don't know if I believe it. And Jesus, resurrected Jesus made room for somebody who had been with him for three years to ask questions. He made room for somebody who had been walking with him for three years to have doubt and still belong. He made room for somebody who had walked with him, talked with him, seen his miracles, ate with him, broke bread with him, saw him crucified, now he's back. He created room for that man to question if this was real or not. And he invited him in and said, touch my hands and feel these scars. And the thing I want, I, I want to just pull from that is that it's okay to doubt. Let's just doubt in community. Because so much of the time I've seen this, and I've been through my own deconstruction back in the day, I've seen this, deconstruction equals, deconstruction's the excuse for, I'm just gonna go do whatever I want. <laughs> deconstruction is, I've been living like really strict and there's some fun things that are coming up and I just kind of want to like go explore a little bit and do some things and, you know, ask my weed smoking friends what they think about Jesus, you know? Like that's what that can tend to be. And so the beauty of it is doubting in community or deconstructing, if that's what you're doing, do it in community. I had a period of my life where I was questioning everything. And I'll never forget, I was so angry at the church because I was like, the church isn't what the church is supposed to be. And I was so, I was questioning if Jesus was really the way. And this was in college and I was sitting in the cab of uh, Billy, who's here tonight, one of my best friends, and we were talking about all of this. And I was just going off. I was so mad. And he knew that I had a call in my life to be a pastor. And after I just go off for so long, he just sat and listened, and he knew that we disagreed on multiple things. And he just sat there and he said, you know what, Michael, you're going to be a really good pastor someday. He believed in me even when I was going through my doubt. And without that belief, I don't know if I'm here today as a pastor so don't leave the community of faith. We will create space for you to walk through your doubts. Don't leave the community to doubt. So with this second point of the doubt shows up in the waiting, I think my questions for you as we exit this movement of the sermon is, what does it look like for you to believe God's truth more than you're overwhelmed by the facts of your life? Where are those? Just take the facts this week. Sit with God in journal. Take the facts of your life, some realities that are overwhelming to you. And you can do a simple Google search on your phone. It'll bring up a verse for every one of those feelings that you're feeling about that reality. Take a journal, write down the facts and write down God's truth and just sit with it. It's such a beautiful exercise. If you've ever written out God's word, it makes you go through his word slowly. If you actually write it out, sit with it and write it slowly. And you're forced to sit with this truth and marinate in this truth. Take the facts, take his truth and sit with that this week. This is a good, are you ready? For, this is a good ending to this passage. Scripture is just truth and it's like history. So sometimes it's like so weird and you're like, I don't know what to do with it. This is like a beautiful ending that's like really easy to preach. The, the last point is there is faith in our waiting. 
And it finishes with Elizabeth. And this is Zachariah's wife. She just like, where Zachariah blew it, Elizabeth gets it. He says, when his time, it says, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. This, this like gets me. These last two, this, this, these two things she says, she just said so simply, the Lord has done this for me. The Lord has done this for me, she said. And these days he's shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Her response is so different than her husband, Zachariah. She says, the Lord has done this for me and he's taken away the disgrace from among my people. I wanna unpack that second part first and we'll go to the first part second. She says, he has taken the disgrace away from my people. What does she mean by that? In this context, a woman's ability to bear children was like the lion's share of her identity. Like her identity was tied to her fertility. So imagine Elizabeth, put yourself in her shoes, decades of infertility, decades of her identity and community being damaged because of the infertility, decades of people looking down at her or feeling sorry for her, or maybe believing that there was some secret sin in her life or their marriage, and that was the reason they couldn't get pregnant. Decades of that. And she said, the Lord has saved me from the disgrace in my community. And what I love about this is God doesn't just answer her prayer of allowing her to become pregnant. He restores everything that was lost as a result of her not being pregnant in the first place. Does that make sense? I know we're at the end, so you can be tiring out. I wanna say that again. I love this because God doesn't just answer her prayer of allowing her to be pregnant. He restores everything that was lost, dignity, reputation, respect. He restores all of that that was lost of her not being pregnant in the first place. He restores her reputation in the community, her dignity. He restores the respect that should have always been put on her name in the first place. And I need you to hear this truth out of that. God not only gives good gifts, he restores what was lost in the waiting. Makes me emotional. God not only gives good gifts, he restores what was lost in the waiting. And I need you to hear tonight that whatever you feel like you're losing right now in your waiting, God is faithful to restore and redeem all of it. And then some. He restores what was lost in the waiting. And then she says, the Lord has done this for me. This simple sentence is the perfect snapshot of faith. The Lord has done this for me. She shows us what faith looks like. It's straightforward, it's simple, it's trusting, it's actually stunning. She just says, the Lord has done this for me. I haven't done this for myself. I couldn't do it for myself. And and the definition that we can take from this statement of hers is faith is trusting that the Lord will do for me what I cannot do for myself. Because that's what she did. That's what the Lord did for her. He gave her a baby. She couldn't do it for herself. Faith is trusting that the Lord will do for me what I cannot do for myself. She knows that her performance didn't bring about this work of God. It's his faithfulness and his goodness that brought it about. Her faith is what stands out in this passage. She says, the Lord has done this for me. Have you ever had somebody do something for you that you couldn't do for yourself? When I was in eighth grade, um, I was in the bathroom and I went to the bathroom. I'm coming out. It's a weird start to a story, isn't it? And I'm coming out and this kid walks by me and he bumps my shoulder and he says, what? And I said, what? Like, 
I'm a lover. I'm not a fighter, you know? But he like hits my shoulder and just says, what? And I was like, oh, what, what's going on? And he said, this felt like a movie. He said, you and me in the quad after school. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know it at the time, but I was being bullied. That's what, that's what, that's what that was. I was being bullied by this kid. And so uh, it's crazy. Uh, we like didn't have that word, but that's what was happening. Um, but I was terrified and I felt so alone. And it's, you know, it's so weird. This dude just like punked me and I'm afraid of him. And it's weird. The feeling that I actually really remember feeling was shame. I was like terrified and I was ashamed because he punked me and it was in secret and he like had me and I was scared of him. And I was like an athlete at that time. I was a good athlete. I was like, I'm kind of a popular kid in school. And so I just felt punked and I felt like so ashamed. And so I spent the whole day feeling ashamed and terrified of this kid because I just didn't want to fight him. And I was like silently getting ready to get beat down in front of the whole school. And as I'm walking out of my last period, I'm like, maybe I can just like sneak like in a back road to like a back, like, you know, hallway to like find my way out of here. And it becomes very clear that like the entire school has heard about this. And so I'm walking and the quad is just packed and people are like waiting there. And this dude and his friends are standing in the middle of the quad, just waiting for me. And I'm just sitting there like, okay, well, time to go like get beat down and get made fun of for a long time. And as I walk up, I didn't know that my best friend at the time had heard about this. And my best friend comes up and he, and he walks up next to me. And my best friend wasn't just any dude. He was a future NFL tight end. No joke. In eighth grade, he was 6'3", 220. <laughs> like biggest dude in the school by a mile. Yeah, D1, D1, like third round, like fifth round maybe, but he, he played in the league. And so I'm walking up and I'm like getting ready to get beat down by this kid and my best friend just walks right in front of me and he, I'm not gonna say the words, but he cusses this kid out and tells him where he can go and says he has nothing, like you're not gonna do anything to my boy and get out of here. And I'm like standing behind my buddy. I'm like, yeah, that's right, walk on. <laughs> Like, get out of here. <laughs> but that moment of having your friend do something for you that you can never do for yourself, to have your friend fight a battle on your behalf that you couldn't win, if you're in this room tonight, you need to know that's exactly what Jesus has done for you. He is standing in front of you and he has fought a battle for you that you could never win. He paid the price of sin and death and invited you into a relationship with him, he paid a price you can never pay. He won a battle you could never won before you knew you even needed to fight a battle. And he, he didn't only do that on the cross, what he's done on the cross, friends, with your anxiety, with your doubt, with whatever mountain you're facing, with whatever facts of life that you're facing right now, he's won that battle. So the way that you fight that battle is like Elizabeth did, it's through your faith. You don't fight that battle through your strength, you fight that battle through his. And so that's my prayer for you as you face the facts of your life tonight, as you face the realities coming into this Christmas season, that you would know who's fought that battle for you and that you would walk in his victory and walk in that faith, even though the facts of your life would suggest everything otherwise. So as the band comes up and as we worship, I just want to pray for you. I want to pray 
I'm going to ask you to be bold tonight. Let's just let's close our eyes, bow our heads, and I just want to pray specifically for anybody who feels like they're coming up against a battle that just feels too big for them tonight. And I just want to pray for you specifically. Um, so if that's you in here, and if you're just like, you're up against it, the facts of your life feel overwhelming. Um, you are coming up against something that you're just like, I, I feel so overwhelmed by this, and the truth of who my God is feels so foreign to me right now. You feel so far away compared to this reality. If that's you, could you just put your hand in the air, and I just want to pray for you. Yeah, there's so many of us. You're in such good company if you're raising your hand. You're in the best company. God, I thank you that you love us as we are and not as we should be. There's not one person that's as they should be. And God, that you have, you know exactly what battle every person in this room is facing. You know exactly what battle these raised hands are facing. So God, for every raised hand and for anybody who is too afraid to raise their hand, Holy Spirit, would you meet them even now? in this place. I pray the peace of the Holy Spirit of you if your hand is raised. The peace that surpasses all understanding if your hand is raised. That you would experience the faithful, you would be reminded of the faithfulness of your God. You would be reminded of his goodness. That his goodness, that his faithfulness, the truth of what he says about you as his daughter or as his son would be magnified in this moment and all of your troubles and any battle you're fighting would be minimized in this moment. Would we magnify the Lord in this place? Would he become bigger than anything you're facing in this moment? So God, I pray for your daughters and sons. I pray that as they go in this week, they would sit with your word. Would they sit with the facts of their life and the truth of your word and see what happens? And God, we just say that you're so good. We say that you're so faithful. We love you so dearly. Thank you for winning the battle. Thank you for fighting the battle. Thank you for giving us victory that we could never get ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. I hope it was a blessing to you and want to invite you to join us on Thursday nights for service at 7 p.m. To connect with us, follow us on Instagram at calvya underscore or on our website, calvarywestlake.org.